A doctor described himself as an agnostic, believing there was a God, but how, here's his quote, how was I to know who that God is or which God I should follow? After studying the book of Mark, he understood Christianity, knew he had eternal life, and he was accepted by God's grace and that his sins were forgiven through the death of Jesus in whom he believed. Studying the book of Mark, listen what it says. Mark underscores the need for faith in the person, not only in the person, but in the message and the power of Jesus Christ. It is the shortest of the Gospels, 16, 16 chapters. In fact, often it is the first book in the New Testament that is translated the book of Mark is. Mark is very important. It is a book of, uh, Mark is a book of action, movement, and involvement, characteristics of today's millennials. As we walk through the book of Mark, we will find that Jesus crossed, listen to what he did, national, racial, economic barriers and spread the good news of, G- of, of Christ. May we reach out beyond our own people and needs to fulfill the worldwide vision of Jesus Christ that people everywhere might hear the great message and be saved from sin and death. Somebody say amen. God help us to be able to do that. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Steve will make sure you get one. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is, and, and, and as you know that we're here last week, we talked about Mark the man. Well, today... I won't get into, anyone that does not have an outline, please feel free to raise your hand and he'll get you one. What I want to do today, I won't get into the nuts and bolts of Mark. It begins with, of course, uh, John the Baptist, and then it goes right into the ministry of Jesus. But what I want to do today is is to look at some very important things concerning the book of Mark. And uh, has everyone got an outline? I guess everybody does. Well, I wanted to read the introduction with me. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. In comparison with Matthew and Luke, it contains relatively little teachings, notice this, of Jesus and nothing about his birth and childhood. Starting with the ministry of John the Baptist, it comes immediately to the public ministry of Christ, ending with his death and resurrection. It is believed by most scholars to be the earliest of the four New Testament Gospels. Think about that. Mark got much of his his information. Somebody tell me where Mark, I I mentioned it last week. Someone tell me where Mark got much, much of his information from. Who? You are absolutely right. He was, he was with Peter a lot. In fact, some believe that he was saved under Peter's ministry. And, of course, he was, with, he was with Paul, as we brought out, and he was also with his uh, uncle Barnabas. So Mark uh, wrote down this gospel probably at Rome. Important, important sentence here that, that you, we need to think about as we go through this book with non-Jewish readers in mind. Mark portrays Jesus as a model for all people, his purpose in writing this gospel. I want to mention three things about Mark's purpose for writing this great book. Where's your Bible? Let me hold it, this Bible. 
it is important that we understand why he wrote Mark. He wrote Mark before Matthew wrote Matthew. He wrote Mark before Luke wrote Luke. And John wrote John. In fact, many scholars believe that much of Matthew and Luke's writings come from the book of Mark. So I want to know why he wrote this book the way he wrote this book. How many of you like to know that? Well, some of you would. But for the rest of you, I don't know. No, I think we all would like to know that. Number one, he wrote it to make the good news accessible to the Gentiles. He wrote it, as many believe it, from Rome to the Romans, the Gentiles. And the reason that that this is believed, you'll notice what I have here. Mark omitted what we call, what we would call inside language. Of course, we wouldn't know anything about that, would we? I don't mean, you know, it's important that we, that we grasp this to understand his thinking when he wrote this great book. I'm going to say this again. He, uh, Mark omitted what we call insider language. He uses Roman terms because he is writing to Gentiles in Rome. Along the same line, he explains Aramic words, the language spoken in the day of Jesus because Gentiles would not have understood it. That was the language. And so when he, when it, it's like you and I, when we go outside of these four walls and we get on the streets or we go to our jobs or we're talking to someone outside, we've got to know the culture. We've got to know the, uh, uh, the thinking of those folks out there. And that's what Mark did. And when he would use a word, if I would, if I would go outside of the rank and file of Christendom, and I would say, you need to be saved. They say, saved from what? I don't know. What, what if I need to be saved? You've got to explain what you're talking about. You have to explain God's word. And so when he would use, uh, when he would speak of the Aramic, uh, use the Aramic language, he'd break that down and explain it to people. And if I want to win the unsaved, I've got to break down some words that I've been t- Using all of my life. They won't understand it. You know, like the person going to the altar. And he knows nothing about what to do. And one man on one side says, hold on. And then this lady on the other side said, turn loose. And he didn't know if he was to hold on or turn loose. And we have to break that down and explain to people. And that's what Mark did. Talking about he wanted to make it accept, uh, 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 acceptable to Gentiles. Notice number two. There's a scarcity of Old Testament quotations. Why? Throughout Matthew and Luke, even John, you'll find Old Testament quotations. But Mark doesn't use but very little. Why? Because Gentiles didn't know the Old Testament. And so he wasn't going to be using Old Testament statements trying to explain the gospel to them because they're going to look at him like, what? 
You understand why a pastor is so excited about this? Because I believe that God is calling the church outside of the walls to win the unsaved and the lost and people that know very little of your and my language. Notice what it says. Mark's gospel was to to make the good news accessible to those who were not insiders. Those that had never heard the word of God. I picked this up from uh, Alton Garrison. He was superintendent or assistant superintendent, I think, of the Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Missouri. I want you to listen how he writes today about where we are with this study. As we might have said in my Texas hometown, it ain't your grandpa's America anymore. And that's not taking long to go where we are right now from grandpa's America. But if, if we're not careful as believers, as churchgoers, we, we think we're still living in grandpa's America. It ain't grandpa's America anymore. Because the foundation, the things that you and I or many of us, now the young folks and, and even church uh, attending Bible-believing young people, they, they, they can struggle with this. The very thing was the, that, that, that was the warp and whoop of my life. The very thing I was raised on, cut my teeth on, they know very little about. You and I as older believers and seasoned believers, we've got a foundation for what we believe. But they don't. So that statement is so true. This ain't grandpa's America anymore. You can look at what's happening in the world today. On television, in the news, in print. Look at what's happening on our college campuses. Things that make your hair stand on top of your head and scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on? Look at our nation today. Grandpa would have never got this, got this country in how many trillions of dollars, Dad? 17? Grandma and Grandpa didn't live that way. They paid, they, you know, they, they didn't have credit cards. Now I'm talking about my grandma and my grandpa, not you kids' grandma and grandpa. They, I remember when we didn't have electric lights. We had a lamp. We had no television. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have an iPhone. I don't know how we made it. This ain't Grandpa's America anymore, folks. And it's changed, and there are certain things that we certainly have changed for the good, but much of the change is not good. Amen? Much of the change is not good. Let me read on. Shocking changes have occurred in our culture in the past generation. American Christians think the unreached people groups are in Asia, Latin America, and Africa, but our nation is a land of unreached people groups. Disillusioned teens, prison inmates, Muslims, 
addicts, the homeless, disaster victims, senior citizens, and cynical college students. That's what you're dealing with. He goes on to say, uh, demographics and circumstances rather than geography define their missions. Now, forgive me for reading right much, but it's so important. Listen to what else he says. The misconception that church is just for Christians creates an inward focus. And an inward focus prevents outreach. Two years ago, my wife and I, we were in a church. It was not in this state, so you don't know what church it was. We were in a church. And when we walked in, uh, there were about 50 people. And I was young. Well, I was there with them. And there might have been uh, five, maybe ten young people in that church. And when I'm talking about young, I'm talking about 30, 40 down. And the preacher gets up. Man, I'm not like a great man of God. I think he's a, just a, a great man of God. But the preacher gets up and he tells about uh, Aunt Sue's in the hospital, Uncle John's in the hospital, this is homesick, and this is... And then... Here's what he did. He says, I rebuke death. Now, when you get my age, you can rebuke death all you want to, but it's slipping up on you. And you can have all the power in the world and all the faith in the world you want to. Hebrews says it's appointed unto man wants to die, and we is and we are going to die. Rather than standing in the pulpit rebuking death, go out there and get some young people in the church. I, and we sat there, we, were, we left and we scratched our head and we said, you know, when you get 70 and 80 and 90 years old and praise God, 100 maybe, uh, you're going to die. We had, a, we had a, several families coming to this church several years ago and their mother got sick and died and they left the church, left God and, and forgot all about God. Your mama's going to die. And when we get, listen, nobody wants to, we would, we don't, I don't like to think about that. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't, you know. Do you believe in healing? I believe in healing. You can't look at me and what I went through 14 years ago and not believe in healing. I believe in healing. And I may get sick again and God will raise me up. I may get sick again and God will raise me up. But let me tell you one thing, I'm going to get sick one day and I ain't going to get raised up unless I go into rapture or I, you know, go, go to heaven. And so it's important that we understand that, that, that what God's doing today, not necessarily ask God to bless what I'm doing. I do believe in asking that, but, but do what God's blessing. Amen? The inward focus. While this may help attendance, people expect church to serve up programs 
their way. While this may help attendance, it does not bring lost people into the kingdom. You see, we've got, we've got all kind of churches. We've got lights and we've got all kind of things to go on in the church. And we invite people and certain churches, they can just gather them in. And it's all inward focus. What can the church do for me? What can I get out of the church? If you don't give me something in 30 minutes, if you don't give me something in 20 minutes, I'm off and I'm out of here. If I didn't enjoy the songs, I'm out of here. What did you do for me today? Church is not about what we can do for you. It's what you can do for the kingdom of God and the souls that we can win and the lives that we can touch and the devils that we can defeat and the demons that we can cast out and the power of God to move in our lives to where God will touch people's lives outside of here. I've been in this thing a long time. I've been in Pentecost. I've been in Pentecost since I was nine years old. And I love, I wouldn't take anything for Pentecost. But I was raised in church and the same people went through the same prayer line, praying for the same thing. Sunday after Sunday, after week, after week, after month, after year. I I believe in healing. I believe in blessing. But I believe I forget about myself when I get to thinking about other people. I believe that something happens in my life when I reach out for somebody else and love them and want to see them come in and be saved by the gracious power of God. An inward focus. You say, Pastor, why would you preach on Mark? Let me tell you one reason I'll preach on Mark. It's because Mark is about the life, the activity The business of Jesus Christ. It's about his death. In fact, much of Mark, the latter part of Mark, chapter after chapter, deals with his death and resurrection. But but did you know several times it says that he was so busy that he didn't have hardly have time to eat? The crowds kept pushing in on him. He had to go here. He had to do this. He had to do the other. And Mark paints a picture. It's, it, it, it's like a movie. It's just like a movie and he goes from, from one set to another, from, from one action to another. It's an action movie that Jesus is doing this. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. Not many parables. As I said, there, there was nothing about his, his birth and, and, and his lineage and He left all of that out because Christ was busy about his father. It was more about what he did than what he said. What, a couple of parables in there and that's all? Let me say it again. It was more about what he did than what he said. And that should be us. And that's the reason that I'm teaching, one of the reasons I'm teaching Mark is I'll look at the life of the Son of God. I'll look at the life of Jesus Christ and said, Father, I want to imitate that. But I don't know how to imitate that until I know what that is. I got to know how he reacted. I want to know what he said. I wanted to know, I want to know how he dealt with problems. 
He said, oh, but Brother Don, that was way many years ago, and that was God. Let me tell you, no one worked in a more hostile environment than Jesus Christ. I mean, he went back home to preach, and they took him. They are going to throw him over a cliff. Have you ever done that to us? I don't think so. I know overseas, and I know other places. They're dying by the thousands. God help us. I want to know what he did. I want to know how he acted. I want to know how he reacted so that I can take it. He looked over the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says he wept over that city. He had compassion, but he also had passion. He was so moved. I mean, the Pharisees would come and they'd question his authority. They'd question what he said or what he did. And the Bible said he looked on them in anger. How long has it been since? I'm not talking about looking down on people. I'm talking about understanding God's word and standing so strong for it till you look at the devil and say, devil, you are a liar. I want to do what Jesus did. Listen to this. This inward focus must shift outward. The church in America must move from from an attractional theology to an incarnational theology. Attract. Bigger buildings, have better lights, have more programs to offer. And everybody comes in and sings kumbaya. I mean, we're all doing fine and let's, let's go here and go and we're doing this. But God is challenging us. Listen, how often do we hear about the cross? And we get to that next. How, long, how often do we hear churches preach and preachers preach on the cross and sacrifice? Did you know Mark bet- betrays and presents Jesus Christ in, in the book of Mark as a servant? Look at the first, look at the... Uh, the scripture, Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This is the main verse in the book of Mark. But to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know the story behind that statement? Mark says that uh, James and John came to Jesus. They saw how great he was and... They asked him, they said, Lord, when you establish your kingdom and you're sitting on the throne, can one of us sit on one side and one of us sit on the other side? In fact, I think it's Matthew that says even their mother came and asked Jesus, could our two sons sit in places of honor? And we all want to be in that place of honor. We all want to focus. If we're not careful on ourselves. Turn the spotlight on me. In fact, I wanted to title this The Star and the Stagehands. And if you, read, if, you, if, if you read the message, Eugene Peterson uses that in the very first uh, chapter, The Star and the Stagehands. We don't know who the star is or the stagehands is. But Mark knew, John the Baptist knew, the disciples knew, we want to be the star, but we better learn to be the stagehands. You need a chair, let me take this chair. You need something, let me do this for you. I'm the stagehand. He's the star. John said, there's, let me tell you, you coming out to hear me? There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to, oh, hallelujah. I'm not even worthy to reach down and untie his shoes. You see, I'm not the star. One of the things that happened in the 50s and the 60s to the healing ministry 
Most of you were not living back then. I was. And I know what happened back then because I knew many of the preachers. I could name more than I, I got to, fingers and probably toes of the great, some of them great men of God. The power of God moved in their lives and there was healings. Oral Roberts had two large tents. He had, or two tents. He had one large tent where people gathered. He had a smaller tent, which was larger than this church, where people come for healing. And they brought them on stretchers. They, they, had, they had parked ambulances and rescue trucks parked, lined up. And people were healed. Cots were stacked up to the ceiling almost of the tent. Crutches. They had crutches thrown on the platform and they were stacked up like this. You said, that was a put on. Oh, no, it wasn't. They were healed. And I could tell you person after person, I was there. And many of the preachers, but you know what came out? They got too big for their britches. They did. And here was a saying, God's man of faith and power. And I believe in honoring God's man and God's woman. I believe in that. But when we start saying, I'm the star, focus on me, turn the spotlight on me, God's not going to let anyone steal the glory that belongs to him. And here was a, here was a healing ministry going wide open. And all of a sudden, man got the, not only did they start taking the glory, but they started using the anointing that God has sent there to heal the sick to receive what? Money. Money. God said, time out. I'm not going to give my glory to anybody. I'm not going to give it to anybody. And the focus the focus stopped being outward or stopped being inward rather and started being outward. And any church, and this can be Bethel Christian Center, 3518 Rose of Sharon Road, 27712, Durham, North Carolina. It can be us. If we don't focus outside these four walls, this church will die. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? It's quiet. Now, please, please don't, don't get uneasy and say, what, what's he going to ask us to do? Is he going to close the church doors down and, and go outside on Sunday morning and go to the malls and, and go to the bus stops and go down the street and witness for Jesus? We might. <laughs> we did it. Haven't we done it? We closed the church down on Sunday morning, and I'll tell you, it was effective. I'm not saying we're going to do that at all. And I'm not saying feel uneasy because, listen, there are people that are, there are, that are evangelists. Most people here could not do what Terry Shuff does, most of us. But we all can be witnesses for Jesus. And we all are commissioned, maybe not to go, well, he says, I was in prison and you visited me not. We all can do our part. And God is challenging us today. To do our part. Today, mega churches swell with thousands of members and hundreds of families, partly because of the wide range of programs and services they offer. 
These ministries attract people to the church. Attractional thinking. Attractional thinking. The focus of the New Testament church was not to attract people, but to allow Christ to live through the people. Woo! Was that good? Is that good? You want me to say it again? If you didn't quite get it, listen. The focus of the New Testament church was not to attract people, but to allow Christ to live through people. And that's why I want to study Mark. That's why I, why you said, oh, don't you? I've studied about the life of Jesus for 30 years. I know all about it. I've studied it for many years, but I'm not too sure. I'm not sure. I know how to react and act. I'm not sure that Jesus lives in me like he should when I get out there. There's more, but I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit reading that. And I'm going to soon close. Number one, to make the good news accessible to Gentiles. Number two, to be an apologist of the cross. This word apologist means to speak in defense of the cross. To speak in defense of the cross. Let me say it again, to speak in defense of the cross. A lot of the churches are taking their crosses out of the church. In fact, was it the last or the next to the last uh, leadership conference that we had? It was a a big, uh, what, huh? A nationally known speaker got up. He was talking about, he took the cross out of his church. He didn't have no cross in his church. Now, he didn't say it like that, but. And it's, you know, just because we have that cross there and the one on the wall out here doesn't mean we're, we, we do all, everything right. But Mark, use the cross, spoke of the cross. He spoke, listen, listen to this. He spoke of a suffering servant. When Mark spoke of Jesus, he spoke of a Suffering, sacrificing servant. We don't want to hear sacrifice anymore. Our sacrifice is, oh, I got to go to church with a broke t- uh, fingernail. I'm just so bad. Or, my God, I, you know, we have all kind of things that, that, that we we worry over and concentrate on and look at it. And, oh, I got to go to church. I'm going to miss my favorite ball game. I got to go to church. I'm going to miss my favorite program. I got to get out on the golf course. All kind of things that mean nothing. I'm talking about sacrifice. Mark wants to set forth the significance of Jesus' death, explaining it. He wants to make clear that the death of Jesus was not a a tragic accident, but it was part of God's plan. Somebody say amen. It was part of God's plan from the very beginning. This was a great stumbling block, not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile. Let me read this. Let me read this. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, beginning. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let them take their crosses down. Let them remove the blood from the hymnal. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
And the cross is more than something just to hang around my neck or put on as a bracelet. Cross means suffering. The cross means crucifixion. It means that I was crucified with Christ, but I live. Listen, for it is written, I will destroy wisdom, the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message. I'll say this again. It pleased God. This is God's word. First Corinthians. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ. Somebody listen what God is saying to us today. We preach Christ crucified. Let me tell you what. People can ex- not accept that today. Doesn't matter what religion it is. The Muslims do not understand. People, the intellect do not understand. They cannot accept the fact that this man was a son of God and he came here for no other reason but to die on the cross for man's sin. That's something that they struggle with. It was not just then, but it's still today. They still struggle with it. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To be to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks, what? Go to Hollywood and see if it isn't foolishness. Turn on your television. See if it isn't foolishness too. They they think it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's the cross. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is, what did we sing this morning? Stronger than men. Stronger than men. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for the Greek. Somebody say amen. Amen. So, to be an apologist, today the cross is a stumbling block to those who do not believe. And the third reason, let's look at the third reason, to encourage those who are facing persecution. I'm closing. It was from Rome that great persecution of Christians came by Nero in A.D. 64. You know who who had Peter killed? Nero. You know who had the Apostle Paul killed? Nero. Someone said he fiddled while Rome burned. He couldn't have been called to fiddle. He wasn't invented until 1,500 years later. He couldn't fiddle while Rome burned. He won't know fiddle. But there was a liar. There, was, there were instruments. He may have played, but many believe he set Rome on fire himself. It doesn't matter who set Rome on fire. Most of it burned. But after the fire, in order to appease the people, he said, you know who set this fire? You know the cause of this fire? It's those Christians. If Christianity... was doing what the Muslims do today. I'm talking about the radical Muslims. 
You think there'd be an outcry against Christianity? You let one abortion clinic get bombed or burned, and it makes national news, and it shouldn't be happen. I agree. The same way that Nero said, these Christians are the cause of this fire. You've got your liberals. You have your folks of wisdom. You have much of America that says the problem with America is these Christians. Never forget years ago, we went out to eat after the service, and we went down Roxborough Road and was at a restaurant there, and it was lined up. We couldn't get in. It was lined up. And this couple came in, and all of a sudden they said, all these Christians get in the way of us. can stand these Christians. Well, he's intimidating. He's tall. He intimidates me, I'm sure. Okay? But he's standing there. And he looked down on that lady. He said, I am a Christian. She just, okay, okay. So they blame Christians so they, because they can't even get in line at the cafeteria. They get blamed for so much. I mean, no, it's not the Christian's fault. If you look back over history here in the States, you'll find that it's the believer, it's the Christians that has established education, places of healing, hospitals, It's the Christian. It's the believer. Mark, what are you writing for? I'm writing because I want the Gentiles to know. Mark, why are you writing? Because I want, I want to expose the importance of the cross of Calvary. And Mark, why are you writing? I want to encourage the believer. Now, I, I won't read all those. There's several under that. I'm closing. Mark, why are you writing? I want to encourage you. But Mark, how are you going to encourage me with what I'm going through? I'm going to tell you that the Son of God, God himself came down in the form of a son. He suffered. He was persecuted. If they did it to the green tree, they're going to do it to the dry tree. And when you look at the suffering of Jesus Christ and understand he was a perfect man and all the criticism and the fault finding and all the accusations and all the suffering everything that he went through he did it for me and for you and he stayed true and the men and women that he left behind they stayed true to their calling they didn't budge They were dedicated. They were committed. And I can look at these lives and I can say, if they did it, we can do it. And I know there are people today that they don't believe in suffering. I heard a couple say the other day on television, we don't get sick. Great. Great. I get sick. When I was 20 years old, I was God's man of faith and power. I wouldn't even take an aspirin. My wife said, you got a headache? Take an aspirin. I said, no, I'm leaving God. Don't give me an aspirin. I was too spiritual to take an aspirin. (laughs) 
How was the thinking back then? You didn't take medicine. I get a headache today. Where's my Tylenol head? I got a habit, you know. I still trust God. I still believe God. But I'm here to tell you. You may go through some things. I'm going to end with this statement. The real, true gospel can be preached all over the world. Now, what are you talking about, preacher? You can preach that prosperity theology here in America. But you can't go all over the world and preach prosperity. You can't go down to Haiti because they get saved by the thousands down in Haiti, but they're still poor. They don't have a brick house and a limousine and an airplane to fly. The real true gospel can be preached in China where they're killed, can be preached in Africa. 2,000 just lost their life. The real true gospel will stand all over the world. But you can pick it out and prove about anything you want to, preach about any doctrine you want to. Do I believe in prosperity? Sure. Do I believe it like some? No. I was in the church not too long ago, and this church had three lines. If you give $100, they pray a prayer over you, a $100 prayer. Wow. If you gave $300, they prayed a $300 prayer over you. Wow. But if you dug deep in your pocket or you wrote a check for $500, you get that special prayer. Mm. What if you don't have $500? What if you don't have $100? What if you don't have anything in your pockets? Let me tell you, you can have holes in your pockets and God will bless you. <laughs> I got to hush. Father, we love you. We love you today. We thank you today for your bountiful blessings. And Lord, I, I, I just pray that you would take this, this message. And if anything, Father, would you, would you just take for another few moments to... Not allow your mind to drift and, and just bring it right in to where we can concentrate on uh, what God wants here. We'll be ending the service in just a moment. In fact, we'll be standing and coming to the altar. And if you have to leave, if you must leave, feel free to do that. But if you can, let's come to the altar. And fathers, we come to the close of this service. First of all, thank you for Mark. God, even though he slipped and failed, even though, dear God, he left Paul and Barnabas, he made restitutions. He came back. You restored him. And though he was not one of the 12 apostles, you allowed him to write the first writings of the life and death of your son, Jesus Christ. Wow, what an encouragement. Help us to take what we've, we've heard here today. Help it to resonate with us. And may we be men and women of action, not just words, We ask you to help us in Jesus' name.